Welcome, everyone. Dr. Dina Dye here with my humble co-host, Jeff Morton. All the Hi, way everybody. In Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. How's everything up there? How's the weather up there? The weather's starting to change here in the Tacoma area, and uh, we, we, we're starting to enter our rainy season, so um, uh, we got six months of rain ahead of us. But that's okay. Well, it's not yeah. snow. Yeah, right. Well, it's actually raining here right now as we speak. Ah. Uh, yeah, I could get some thunderstorm activity, and if I disappear, you'll know why. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's hope that doesn't happen. We, we actually didn't work. Dean and I are trying to figure out a way to come together and do the show uh, because we're recording it now instead of going live. And, uh, you know, our schedules just don't mesh. So we're kind of hitting and missing to get this together. And I, I guess, Dina, you're going off to Oklahoma this weekend? Yeah, I leave, uh, yeah I leave Sunday with the family, and uh, we're heading out to Chandler, Oklahoma. So I'll be gone for at least 10 days. So we won't – I mean, we might be able to get something in there. It'll depend on the Internet and everything. Right. And then uh, I'm into – at work, we're very, very busy, very busy at work, and there's a lot going on and just stuff. But anyway, Dina, I listened to you and Rico on his Wit podcast, Witcot. Well, he calls it Wit Wit Witcast, Wit which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, uh, Wisdom and the Torah, and uh, you know, I listened to it twice because you That's know, amazing. That, why? <laughs> I don't know because I I haven't listened to it once. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm a sponge for all of this. So, of course, you know, and I have such a respect for both of you guys. But you kept, ta you talked about a few things that um, you and I have been talking about this for a whole year. We're really talking about the same thing, folks. Yeah. Almost every single program, yeah. we might have a different conversation about the same thing, but we're still talking about the same thing, which is. The Bible was written to people that did not live in our understanding of the world. That's what we're talking about all the time. So we're going back to Eden so we can see how they communicated about the material we're reading today. And they had one constant theme. They talked and they spoke and they wrote when interpreting things from a mythological metaphoric, personification, analogous mindset, they didn't have a paragraph and an outline, sentences, paragraphs, and whatnot, but they still were interpreting. They just did it using, uh, you know what came to my mind when I was listening to you, Enrico, was Brad Scott, you know, talking mm -hmm. about um, the agriculture. Right. They used, their metaphors were based on their agriculture and the world around them. Mountains would have been seen as temples. Trees would have been seen as kings and often were. And you and Rico covered a lot of territory on that today. But you um, were really just talking about looking at the scriptures from the lens of the people who wrote it in the world that they wrote it from because that's where we get the information. Dina, you said something today that just kind of, uh, you said the fig tree 
represented King Saul. The Davidic tree was a, was a vine. The olive. The olive. And Solomon was the vine. The, the vine. And so when Jesus or Yeshua literally just put that fig tree to rest, folks, it's not a tree and it's not a fig tree. It's a kingdom that has been removed. Dina, would you elaborate on that? Because I thought that was, that was really good. I get it, but it was really, really good. And I want the audience to understand when we're talking about this language, we're talking about people that have been appointed to do something in the kingdom of God. Go ahead. Well, let me uh, back up for just a second because uh, as I've shared quite a bit in my books, uh, we have to understand that the creation week was about building the cosmos. Right. Now, when it's all done, we shift gears, we do a different kind of work, and we move from architectural language building to agricultural language maintaining what we've built. How do you maintain the cosmos or how do you maintain sacred space? Well, you have to grow stuff to feed the people so that they stay alive. So the agricultural language is very important. And out of that, as you go through the creation week, like on the third day when it talks about the waters separating dry land appear, and then we see the trees. So this is tied to, uh, I mentioned on the Whitcast, the sprout coming forth. In the, it is there in the Hebrew, in the first chapter of Genesis, it does talk about the samak, the sprout. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually uses two different words, but that is the secondary word. And this concept of sprout has always been related for the ancient people to trees. And so over and over again, trees represented kings. And in their world, you know, a tree was a big deal <laughs> because it provided their food. It provided their shade. Uh, it provided the uh, building, the raw materials to build. That's why the, the dynasty, the trunk of the tree, which is the, what you use, the planks, plane them to build something. So the dynasty is built in the same way that you would take planks from a tree and build a house. That's how they saw the dynastic thing. So I have talked some about the perspective of, By the time we reach the Babylonian exile, the Bible is pretty much in its final form. It's been growing from beginning to that period of time, sort of evolving, stories added in, probably some taken out. But the perspective always remains the Babylonian uh, exile. So that's their lens. And from that lens, they're looking back to the beginning of the dynasty, which was King David, essentially. Although it started with with Adam. Oh, I was thinking. In that, yeah. Okay, we're we're down the road a little bit, but it's the same, yeah. basically the same blueprint. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, there is a um, a story about the trees in uh, in the in the book of Judges, and I have to remember what chapter it's in. I think it's in chapter six. Maybe seven, eight, if I could find it quickly. But it talks about now these trees that we have mentioned are going to connect to actual um, judges at the period of time that they're mentioned. 
So we've mentioned before that everything is tied. Oh, can I find it? Everything's tied to something historical. It's just that the writers would take those historical events and then they would give us uh, a different interpretation on it. I can't see the but but, but when you say that, they didn't have to explain this to their audience. That's so important because their audience would have been fluent. I cannot. Oh, um, well, that they would have understood the importance of trees. Right. In their world. For, you know, for providing everything that they needed, in particular for providing their shade. Like, I know it's in 6, 7, 8, somewhere in there, and I just cannot find it. So I'll just have to talk about the, the three trees that came out. Well, actually, four. They're, and they, they say, should we, you know, come and make your shade? Can we come under the shade of your canopy? And there's the, uh, the olive tree sycamore fig tree and the vine and then the thorn bush which is referring to um, uh, what's his name Abimelech Gideon's son that rascal yes I, you know I was just thinking about Gideon when you were talking but I don't want to get off the subject but I remember when the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the tree again we're yes. seeing this they're tying that angel to kingship language so he's sitting before the king but go ahead yeah, yeah. Well, and, and any time you see somebody under a tree of some kind, that person is chosen to come under the sovereignty of whatever that tree represented. So it's the same thing with, uh, you know, I think immediately of Hagar's son. She leaned him up against the tree, and then he was entered into a covenant with the Lord. The people, yeah, and, yeah, and covenants often took place under trees because you were making a covenant with your king with of, your of king. some sort. See, it's, yeah. this is, this is so fluid now that I can see this. I can go back to all these verses in my brain. Can't find any of them right now, but uh, only because we're recording a show. But it's so fluid when you see this language. Then you start seeing the language of the kingships. It's fluid. It's everywhere. It's not. Well, it really is. Go I ahead. Turn this off. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, for whatever reason, oh wait, I think I finally found it in chapter 9, what do you know, good grief. Um, so again, there's the historical context. What, what verse are you in? Uh, it's going to start at about verse 3, what is that, 8? Okay. Even with my glasses, I can't see. Okay, verse 8, um, once the tree set out to anoint a king over them. So they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I stop yielding my oil that honors God and man and go wave over the trees? Now this is, you've got King, uh, you've got Avimelech who's basically, in his name means my father is king. And he is the son of Gideon and he's a bad guy. And he's responsible for having everyone in Gideon's family killed so that he can take over the kingship. So that's what these, of course, trees representing the kings and the main tree but this is the usurping of that of the dynasty once again now this is of course uh, we don't have King David and Solomon any of that yet right but remember if they're writing this from the lens and filter of the Babylonian kingdom then, then ground zero for their world is the monarchy okay 
So, um, verse 9, but the olive tree said, should I stop yielding my oil, that honors God and man, and go wave over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I stop yielding my sweetness and my delicious fruit, and go wave over the trees? So the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I stop yielding my new wine, which cheers God and man, and go wave over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if you truly are going to anoint me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shadow. But if not, let the fire come out and the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So the bramble in this case, in this story, was uh, Abimelech. And so the bramble would represent any sort of king that would, uh, would usurp the royal dynasty. So again, there's a context, historical context, but the st what the writer is trying to communicate are these three trees, the olive tree, the, the fig tree, and the vine. The fig tree represented King Saul, and you can, that, I can't even find my scripture now, but there's a couple of places that refers to the sycamore fig uh, in terms of King Saul. Now you'll remember what happened with the southern tribes. Judah and Benjamin joined forces. And so from Judah, they ruled over the rest of the nation. But this is like cutting off. There was a period of time when Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, was exalted in its rulership over the, from the south over all of Israel. This is telling us that that will be cut off, that Saul, King Saul would not, of Benjamin, would not be the one who would rule over the, the key dynasty in all this is going to be, of course, David and his son Solomon. And David represents the olive tree. And he, if he talks about that, it's in uh, Psalm somewhere. He talks about himself being the offshoot of an olive tree. Mm -hmm. And then Solomon is connected to the vine. Of course, we have the, the dynasty from David to Solomon, the Solomon to bring the ultimate peace and kingship. And, of course, when we jump into John, we now have a connection there with the vine as well for those who come under the shade. So as I was mentioning in the program with Rico, we have to understand that this, the concept of the Davidic dynasty is everything in the Bible. Even though the, all the early chapters aren't even talking about the Davidic dynasty. But for the folks in Babylon, in exile, they long for the time where the dynasty returns because from it, temple will be built and God's presence will return to the house you know I, I'm, I maintain this because I get this and I've said this and boy when I said this you could have you could have watched people run but I maintain and this is something I can't prove that the the whole ideal behind Adam was to set up the Davidic kingdom mm -hmm. because and I believe that that's why the story starts with him you did a brilliant job in your book your first book of getting us to to kind of get out of the box of the uh you know god formed this dude out of mud picked him up butt naked threw him over a fence and he screwed up that's kind of the that's kind of the mindset we've had of the kingdom of adam and yet the kingdom of adam mirrors the kingdom of israel which fail. Yeah, absolutely. And the key to the kingdom of Israel becomes King David onto King Solomon. That's what's essential. Again, that 
they are going to be looking in the from the Babylonian exilic period and the post exilic period. They're going to start to look at the story of Adam, the story of Noah, and on down to the judges from their exilic lens. And so the desire is for the restoration of the Davidic dynasty. That's key, and that's what I also brought up. And I'll be going into this in more detail in my book about Noah, the story of Noah, and the all. So the dove brings the all, and it doesn't say a branch. Uh, it right. actually is a leaf. He brings the olive leaf to Noah because that's making a declaration that the dry ground has appeared, a sprout has come forth and produced an olive tree. And so the dove has taken the leaf to, to Noah. is a declaration of the restoration of the Davidic dynasty. And there's, um, I'm also looking in uh, when I find Zechariah. It's I'm I'm sitting in the dark, so it's, it's in the Tanakh, okay. Just if that helps you. Thank you. <laughs> kind of so towards the much. end of it. Yeah, but yeah. all this uh, that we have a lot of olive language, so that's why the menorah is significant because the well, menorah produce the menorah is representative. Oh of, oh oh yes. Yeah, it, the menorah it, is a tree. It's a and it represents the Davidic dynasty. Because it wow. produces all of. I mean, you 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 know. It while you're looking free. while you're looking for that, I I kind of want to read this, and it's, I'm going to jump here because I just want the audience to understand that when we're talking about trees and the language of trees, it's everywhere in the scriptures. But you have to realize they're not talking about trees; they're talking about kingdoms. And so I want to jump to Daniel while you're looking for that, Dina. Okay. So then Daniel, or often called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed. For time and thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, or Daniel, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, because the king was supposed to feed, mm -hmm. uh, and providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become a great and strong. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown all until it reaches the sky, and your dominion, dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. But that tree is about to get cut down, and, and you can go ahead and read the rest of it. But I want to try to connect the audience that when we're talking about trees, and I could go to Job, I could go here, we could talk uh, judges. I, I remember the judges with, with uh, Gideon, like I mentioned, or even Ishmael leaned up against the tree. We're talking about dynasties that the Lord is bringing forth out of the earth, and their sole purpose is to feed and to take care of the people. And they all failed yep. except for one. But anyway, you, did you find what you were looking for? Go yeah, ahead. In Zechariah. And Zechariah is another one. Of, I mean, maybe next time we'll, we'll have a little more time with it. But, boy, this is a book we've really gone off the deep end with. Uh, again, there's a historical component. we got to look at that first. 
And so uh, Zechariah is writing about uh, Zerubbabel. Remember, he's the one who laid the foundation when they came back from from um, exile. And he's from the, he's the son of Shealtiel. He is of the royal line of David, but he's never declared to be a king. So we kind of see Zerubbabel more in the in the context of prince and his cohort cohort the uh, high priest Jehoshua ben Zadok. And so um, if they're talking about the two olive trees. What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the menorah? And again, I yep. ask him, what are these two olive branches beside the two golden pipes that empty the gold, uh, golden oil out of them? You do not know? No, my Lord. He said, these are the two anointed ones. This is kingship language. The two anointed ones who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. So the menorah was, uh, the, the trunk of the menorah was seen to be the, the, the dynasty of the king, the Davidic king in this case. And of course the oil was there to give light to the whole world. And so these guys are connected to that. Zerubbabel is the key figure in Zechariah who is basically uh, serving as the, he is the line of David. Remember it was cut off from Yehoiachin, uh, he was like a really bad dude, and God said, you know, his name's also Koniyahu or um, Yekania. And uh, he's like, no, nothing's coming forth from your loins, you know, as far as the kingship. So we, we jump out of exile, and now we have Zerubbabel, which he's a very key figure. But anyways, that's that connection of the Davidic dynasty to the olive tree and um, the two... Uh, the two anointed ones standing on either side. Uh, well, they are the olive branches, if you will, the two olive trees. Anyways, I just I want people to see when Paul is talking about olive trees, he is he's talking about the restoration of the kingdom that we have in Romans. So anytime right. you see this type of language. You know, I got a question. We're just about there this, this week. Um, and uh, we're going to have to figure out how to do this show because we're we're just our, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yes, we will. But um, Dina, I'm going to ask you a question and and give you a best answer on this one. Okay. Okay. Why does and I, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way. Why does this matter to the believer? who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior, and who absolutely knows that they're going to heaven when all is said and done. Why does this information, and it's really information, why does it matter to that person? What would you, what would you, what would be your answer to a person who asks that question? Well, First, I'd say it probably doesn't matter to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but they're looking. They're absolutely looking, they and they want to know. But there's a lot of, you know, there are people who really don't care. They're, they're not interested in the information. They're not interested in understanding the historical, cultural context of the Bible. And so when you start to present this material, it's challenging. It's hard to deal with. They don't know where to put it. And they're quite comfortable and happy in their little, you know, what they've come to understand in their doctrinal theology, etc. Now, there are those who, when they hear it, 
I, I, they get the aha moment because this is the only way I think that the Bible makes any sense. I've been studying the Bible for 40 years, and I have to tell you, there, you know, and I've taught in many, many venues, and many times I read, I would read it and go, I have no idea what this means. I know it means something. I'll give you my best guess. I'll put something together because I'm into patterns and stuff. But honestly, I really don't know what it means. So to finally start, and I don't have it all. You know, I do not know everything. There are lots right. of things I don't know. But to finally, for me, and I see other people have the Bible make sense, it strengthens their faith. They can talk about their faith in a, not as an emotional feeling, but as a concrete, substantive faith. It, ha it is concrete, but it's not if it's all emotional. And you, it's kind of like, I mean, I don't want to get too far out here, but you know, when you're having a, a discussion with people who, do, who are not of your political persuasion, when they can't have an... I avoid that at all costs. Yeah. But when you can't discuss the topic and present your view or your, you know what I mean, you get called names, okay? Yeah. So this and is the same just, kind yeah. of thing. Responding with name-calling, which I know people don't do that, but responding with, you know, that's my faith, I believe it, you know, whatever, without any kind of solid foundation. I think people are not able to articulate their their understanding of the scriptures in the marketplace because they have no clue what they actually mean. And now in a post-Judeo-Christian secular humanist world, you can't just go out there and go, because I, I know that God has done this, this, and this for me, which we do need to explain to people, but our... Our ability to articulate our faith is based on emotion and feeling instead of, you know, objective understanding. Well, you know, I'm glad you gave that answer, and that's a good answer, because I'm one of those people who sees this, and I, I, it's not about knowledge for me. For me, the more that I understand the kingdom language, the ancient world, the covenant structure the legality of the king and how he did things, I see the facsimiles all around us. Every nation is a facsimile, however perverted that it might be, of the original kingdom. And so that language permeates all of our societies. We just don't recognize it. And what this helps me do is it gives me like a bullseye view of the coming kingdom of our Lord and Savior. I see it. I see it around me. I watch how the world is reacting to it. But I see it. It just gives me this gigantic confirmation that thy kingdom is coming. And I get it. And so the more that I, the more that I look into this stuff, the more I go, God, why, did you, why couldn't you have just said kings? And he didn't do it that way. Well, because, because he put it in a world yeah. that had a culture that was different than the way I see it. And I really yeah. do get that. Yeah, well, and that's that, what we're all about here. I really, hats off to the conversation that you and Rico had. I mean, I... I, I, I wish I could put it on my car 
with megaphones and drive through Washington State, maybe someone would care. It was a great conversation. I hats off to Rico, and you know he has the wisdom and the knowledge, wisdom and the Torah, to have that kind of discussion with you. And I just really enjoyed it, and I encourage people to listen to that. You can find it on my my Facebook page, and of course your website, uh, Foundations and Torah. Uh, this is just, I, this is fantastic to me. I mean, it's, I don't have to worry about what's going to happen. I just have to do my part while it's happening. Yeah, amen. Isn't that cool? Well, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm doing it uh, just finally today. I have been praying to try to have my message for Monday night at Sukkot, you know, on the big stage. I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what to talk about. But uh, I ended up kind of moving into the realm of talking about the Shvitah, um because that's really one of the most bizarre things uh, commandments, I think, and it result by them not obeying, uh, being obedient to this agricultural principle, they were sent into exile for seventy years. Right, like seventy years deal. for not letting the land lie fallow every seventh year. It's a big deal. What's going on here? So, yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna and I'm gonna tie that into our walk as well. So I finally something connected. Well, I hope that I can uh, get to Chandler for Sukkot. I, I'm I'm ready to go. It's not going to happen this year. I'm focused on trying to get down to Florida. Yeah, uh, and it's, I got there. There's a lot of chaos going on in 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 my my employment world, uh, but there's a lot of order going on in my faith world. So, Amen, brother. We're done, Dina. That's yeah. it. I'm I'm done. Okay. I'm going to bed now. Okay, sleep well, my friend. <laughs> we'll see you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to Returning to Eden, you guys. Dina, have a great trip up in uh, Chandler. Say hi to my friend, Monty, and uh, we'll see you when you get back, okay? Amen. we got to figure out how we're going to do another show, but we'll get it we done, know. okay? Yeah. All right, good night, everybody. Shalom. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>